Hello, and welcome to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. In Her Room is supported by listeners like you. Contribute to keeping the show ad-free at patreon.com slash inherroom, or visit our website to make a one-time donation. Your support keeps women's voices on the air. This week's guest on In Her Room is Bronwyn Petrie. With her love of animals and a passion for social justice, Bronwyn Petrie brings a compassionate and soulful voice to her writing. As an editor, she is discerning, precise, and wants to convey a message with strength and finesse. Part of the BU Media team, she can often be found walking her dogs or curled up with tea and a good book. Bronwyn, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you today about all of the various projects and plates that you have spinning, but I want to dive right in by asking you, what is writing to you? Oh my goodness. You start off with a whopper, huh? Um, writing, is, um, writing is everything to me. Um, it was my best friend when I was little. Um, it was my constant companion when um, I didn't like what was going on in front of me. Um, it's been a way that I process the world um, and communicate it to other people. Uh, it's been not only is it helpful for me, but it also helps me connect with so many other people that I wouldn't have normally. Um, so while I say it's uh, sort of a language that, and I mean, that's pretty literal and pretty obvious at the same time, it's a little bit more than that. You work both as a writer and an editor, and you talk a little bit about that on your site, about the contrast between these two parts of the creative process of writing and how they might seem disparate, but they work together really well. And I can relate to this because I, too, am both a writer and an editor and really love both sides of the process and the journey. But I'd love to know a little bit more about how you came to that place of bringing these two parts of the creative journey of writing together. Um, it was more of a gradual thing that I didn't notice was happening at first. I um, pretty much from the get-go of my life, there have been times where I've lost sight of it, but I always knew that I wanted to be a writer and that I was going to be one. Um, and the editing came more slowly. Um, I remember having an evolution from not really sort of flouting grammatical rules and um, just not caring about anything like that and sort of inventing my own punctuation um, and, and slowly developing an appreciation for it. And this might be an interesting leap to make, but um, I've always, also always been fairly um, socially active. I've been um, doing stuff about the environment and feminism and women's rights for quite a long time. Um, and so it became editing, even though that's a little bit of a leap, editing was a way that I could help other people um, tell the stories that they were, that were important to them um, in a way that would make them, you know, just slightly more clear. I would help to sort of amplify the voice that was there. Um, so in a strange way, editing is sort of how I put my activism into work through a, a writing channel, if that makes sense. It actually absolutely does. And 
I can relate to that because there's a fine line, but it's important one to walk um, about being an editor and working with someone to really get to the heart of their message and make sure that that's the story that they're telling and also losing or risking the the loss of the voice or the cultural intonation of the person telling the story. I think a lot about that as I'm working with people particularly who come from different cultural or ethnic backgrounds from myself and may have a different way of speaking or a different use of language or an entirely different language that they are accustomed to and how to work with people to get their message out into the world the way that they're wanting to say it without losing their authentic voice and the way that they speak in the world. That's a really good point. And I find with um, with things like that, what I, what I tend to do is I tend to use a lot of space and line breaks and things like that which tend to give like visual pause to the eye, which can sort of help the reader, you know, pause on a word that you want them to pause on and sort of taste it a little bit longer and then move on. Mm-hmm. But space is sort of how I work with that particular concern. You talk about writing from a young age and the importance of writing and story for you particularly when, as you said, you don't like the things that are happening in front of you. I'm wondering if you'd share a little bit more about that. Just more about how writing became both a comfort and a resource for you when things were not going the way that you wanted them to be going. Well, I think, honestly, and um, I think I only just became aware of the value um, of sort of a processing tool that writing was this year, which sounds very strange because I wrote my first, I just found it again the other day. Um, I wrote my first short story when I was six. So that's like a long, that's a long wait for a payout. But um, the reason I say I only just found out how helpful it was, um, I can remember a particular instance um, and I, I don't mean to go dark, so we, we can get out of it right away. But um, I was in the room with my mother when she passed away. And at that particular moment, um, there was a few other people in the room with me. And everybody sort of, obviously, it was a, like a really poignant moment. And everybody started to cry, um, except for me. I sort of took everybody's emotions. And I don't know why there wasn't any reason for me to do that. But I just sort of went, I've got to stay in control nobody like somebody has got to keep it together so I remember distinctly sort of taking all of these emotions that were sort of starting to rise in me and swallowing them and I bring that story up because that act of swallowing my emotions haunted me for and I had to undo specifically undo the damage for years afterwards um I don't know if that'll resonate to any of the listeners of this podcast but um I uh, for years afterwards, um, I couldn't write more than, I would say, 60, 65 words at a time without leaving things. I didn't really have very much of an output. Um, and it was only in the last few years um, where I've actually gone to different mentors and been like, I feel 
like there is a wall between what I'm writing and what I feel like I need to be writing. Can you help me work? Can you help me break down that wall? So that more of like the visceral, emotional, meaty stuff infuses what I let out in the world. Like I didn't know how to translate that. And then, um, so I've been working with a particular teacher for about six months now. We're just ending our work together. And um, it's been through our work where I've really, I've sort of been able to reclaim um, that sort of just letting everything out on the paper and seeing, seeing distinctly after I do that, how much easier I'm able to communicate verbally, which is strange. Um, and, you know, just how much clearer and lighter I feel. Um, so it's really sort of, uh, it's revolutionized, um, again, uh, you know, my sort of notion of self-care. And I take a lot of, um, one of my inspirations for self-care is a, is a quote by Audre Lorde. I don't know if you've seen it, and I'm going to paraphrase it horribly, but, um, you know, taking care of yourself isn't an indulgence and acts like it's a political act. <laughs> I love that quote by Audre Lorde. I, I really, I think that there is uh, so much to be learned from her work. And one of my favorite Audre Lorde quotes is, uh, so we speak remembering we were never meant to survive. And uh, I just think there's so much goodness in that. And the way that you talk about writing as a, a processing tool is, I think, really integral and something that a lot of people might resonate with, whether they consider themselves to be writers in the sort of big world published sense, or whether they are simply people who write, right? Whether they're journaling or working through things. Yeah, or even, you know, even I would go beyond that. I know that most of um, most of the listeners will be writers or readers or interested in the word somehow but beyond that like this is just how I personally express myself somebody else might express themselves through math or gardening or you know whatever whatever it is that speaks to you or something that you've been continually drawn back to that's what you need to sort of work with to help you figure out the world mm, absolutely and those tools are so valuable and I think there are ways that we can use them even when we are in the midst of the most extreme chaos. I, I think of, for myself, uh, being in an abusive relationship and turning to what was then sort of the really early days of blogging and creating community online and how even though I didn't have the safety or the space to actually write anything, I could read the written words of other people and have stayed connected to many of those early bloggers that I started reading even now, 10 years later. I think there's such power in sharing our stories and talking about the world and our experiences of it that just can't be replaced. I've been really, I've been thinking about this. I didn't get internet in my house personally until 2006. I'm a late bloomer to this. Um, and uh, at first, I remember having this disconnect about, you know, like real life people versus online people. 
Um, but in, in sort of needing to protect my, my real identity and like who knows what's out there and all of that stuff. Um, but then like the more that you got, like the more that I got to know, like everybody's just so honest, you know, and being able to blog somewhat anonymously, like that's what we were mostly all doing at that point, I think was just like this way of just like practicing your heart and practicing like who you were. And like, that was amazing. I actually, um, I went to uh, a friend of mine that I had met through blogging. We'd never actually met in person before. And we decided that we were going to um, run away to Morocco together for a week. So we did that. I don't know if I ever would have, would have gone to meet somebody that I'd never met for a week in a foreign country if it hadn't been for like the intimacy of us um, and our friendship through our blog. I love that story. That makes me smile so huge. <laughs> well, and I think, I think that's true. I think there is this way that even though many of us are not writing quite so anonymously, I think there's this way that being able to really sit with our words and put them out there allows us to cultivate that vulnerability, that we find our community and our kindred spirits in ways that we might never have done so before the internet. I know that is vastly true for me, and I, I'm one of the last sort of, I think I'm part of the bridge generation that really didn't totally grow up with the internet. Like, rem I remember the time before smartphones, you know, um, but I also, have lived half my life with the internet. So it's sort of like this weird thing. But I also know, like, when I look back at some of the early, early online blogging stuff, all anonymous that I wrote, I just think, wow. I was so naive, not because I didn't know, but because I knew that I was safe and I could just open. And, and I think that that's a really important part of of writing online and being part of online community. Very, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I'd love it if you might read some of your writing for us. Um, so I, in all honesty, I um, had been thinking about if this came up, what I wanted to write, and I am currently working on a few things. Um, I don't have anything that I'm currently writing that's ready enough, so I'm going to read one of my favorites. Um, this was published back in April of 2014 um, on Elephant Journal when I was editing and writing for them. Um, and even though it's the wrong season, it's starting, um, it's, uh, I wrote it in late March, early April, um, but it's similar to the turning of the season that's happening now. So it's called uh, Reclaiming Our Wild Hearts. And this one's a special one to me. My Bruised Heart. Those days where it struggles to beat without aching, when it turns inwards and remembers every crack and hurt, when it asks for comfort, comfort, comfort in every pulse. It is restless, maybe because the calendar has turned a corner and it is finally spring, the world cracked open like an egg, sunlight reaching long lost corners and birds beginning to congregate in the sky. I find myself constantly turning towards the window, looking for rain. We are in that in-between season where the snow has gone, leaving dusty sidewalks and the grass is still flattened and fleecy. Everything in me wants a thunderstorm, the pulling together of horizon into a steam of blue clouds, the dance of thunder and lightning, a pounding dark rain, 
so that afterwards we are all electric and steamy. A little while ago, I was standing in the middle of the sidewalk and I had a bag with white onions in it and tomatoes and plantain and the thought came to me. You just have to accept that you are wild. You always have been and always will be. I don't know why I hadn't thought of it before in exactly that way, but something sighed within me and clicked into place. And my heart said, of course you are. That would explain why you can't fit into any boxes, why you have never been able to do an office job, why you feel crazy when you're inside for too long, why you save money for plane tickets instead of RRSPs. If you just accept that there is something inside of you that can't and should be, shouldn't be tamed, then what will happen? What happened is, I started caring a lot less about what I thought other people meant, what I thought other people thought, pretty much right away. The things I hadn't done suddenly became a field of possibilities. It became, of course you hadn't done this yet. It, would ma- it wouldn't have made you happy. Instead of, is there something wrong with me that I haven't been able to do this? But a funny thing about wild is that it sometimes feels like lonely. I know there are others like me out there. Others whose hearts beat so fast that we sometimes think our bodies cannot hold them. While nothing will do but the long way home and a night sky so vast it can take every mood. We have chosen experience after experience without necessarily following anything but some instinct inside of us, which can be frustrating to the people who want to love us and follow along, but is, for better or for worse, how we work. We have a kinetic energy around us. Our hair is big, our laughs are big, our tears are oceans, and we love what we love to the point where we just can't breathe where we want to stop strangers on the side of the street and tell them, this is what I bleed for, this, just this. Things often break around us, not because we are careless or that we don't love them, but there is an extra bit of electricity around us that gives us a different kind of grace. We always need a way out. This is perhaps the one thing that needs the most explanation, but essentially staying somewhere has to be of our own volition. We still make commitments, but we check in with ourselves regularly to make sure they are a conscious choice. We learn the hard way, but our wildness has a lot to do with freedom. There's a little bit more to it, but um, that's essentially the part that means the most to me. So I'll leave it there. Mm. Thank you. I'm curious the best advice you've ever received. Hmm. Maybe because we're just thinking, we're, we're already talking about it and my mind's there, but um, somebody told me once, I was just, I was, again, I was afraid of, of sort of letting everything go and um, just sort of being real with my emotions and sort of just letting it out there and being honest with people about where I was. Um, and somebody said, you know, you're not going to like literally fall apart if you say that you like your body will still be there and you it will probably hurt a lot less once you do it than you know than if you wait and for me at that exact time I mean it's so simple and of course like of course you're not going to but that was the best medicine for me at that time that's such a huge reminder like I remember a time in my life where I was afraid of crying, like actually like the act of crying, um, because I was certain that if I started crying, I would never stop. 
And I think it goes along with that, you know, uh, there's a hesitation to, like, really crack open and, and be present with emotion. And I, for years, just remember not being able to cry, not being willing to cry. And someone saying to me, you know that you will stop eventually. Like, like it is not this thing that you will cry forever. Um, and it was hard. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to believe them because I was so stuck in my, no, this is right. I know that if I start crying, I'll never stop and I'll drown in tears. And, and I'm, I'm sure there was probably some Disney movie reference playing in my head of someone drowning in tears or being carried away on them. But at the time I was just certain of it. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's just like not, you're not going to fall apart it's that idea of you're a lot stronger than you think, but when you really open up, it's actually going to be better in the long run. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm constantly sort of um, caught in this thing where I'm like, well, you know, this has helped me. Um, so maybe it'll help other people. But at the same time, you know, sometimes people just aren't ready to hear things. But I, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely true. Sometimes people are not ready to hear things. And I think, like us, you know, it's, I'm not always ready to hear something. And I'm always amazed when a lesson from the past comes back into my head, usually after a long period of time where I ignored it. And then I go, oh, damn it. They were right. <laughs> <laughs> I should have just listened to them. <laughs> I'd love it if you could talk a little more about your process and experience of working as an editor with your clients. Of course. Most of my experience has been um, sort of helping people develop ideas. There's sort of a a get to know you stage, which I really like, Um, you know, and then you're sort of like, do we want to be friends for a little while? because I do, I love the intimacy of the relationship that um, comes up between the writers that I work with, um, and uh, and you know there has to be a lot of there's a lot of trust there, sort of for somebody to like give their work to me to see, and so you know I really try to honor that relationship and and honor the trust that they place in me, um, and then just but not having an attachment to the writing, that's something um, when working at it on this level that I really appreciate. Um, it's not mine, and yet I'm looking at it at the sort of thing. I like that sort of, that cognitive dissonance a little bit. And uh, and then I really just sort of like, again, um, if I feel like, a particular piece will flow better if you move this paragraph or, you know, shift this or do this. Um, and then, you know, you enter into a dialogue about how with the author about if that's, you know, if that's good, if they need more help, that kind of thing. So I really love how it, um, you don't want to get too involved. Um, like we were saying earlier, like you don't want to accidentally insert your own voice rather than amplifying the author. Um, But it's really fun to see, you know, if the idea that you both have 
at the beginning of your relationship, you know, where that's going to end up, how that's going to organically grow together. Definitely. I think it's so important. You mentioned that trust. And I think that's something that is not often spoken of when when talking about the author-editor relationship. I think being a developmental editor takes a certain level of commitment to holding the space and to really honoring the story that's being presented. Um, And at the same time, it requires vast amounts of trust because as writers, we're all like, this is my baby, this is my baby. Nobody, you know, don't, don't hurt my baby. And, and that's not what a good editor is invested in, right? Like a good editor is there to be part of the village that raises this piece of writing from its very first incarnation mm-hmm. into its place in the world. And I think that's such an important thing um, because as developmental editors, we want to get underneath the skin and really bring that story out into the world. And sometimes I think we get a bad rap for it. I don't know. I'd love to hear um, your experience, but I think sometimes people are afraid of developmental editors because they're worried that we're going to do that, you know, line by line, change the sentence, move this paragraph around. And that's not always going to happen. But what's more important is that commitment to the story. Yeah. I um I was just thinking about that that Faulkner quote, you know, um, the kill your darlings one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel uh, <laughs> um, this is a, a metaphor that I use with um, with my own writing, and when I'm asking somebody to read it, I'm like, just dump it like a watermelon. You know that, um, you know that sort of expression or old wives' tale about how you dump a watermelon to tell if it's ripe. Or that. mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm asking people to do and that's sort of in turn um, you know what I what I tend to do I if I think of you know the story or the novel that I have in front of me or the essay or whatever um, as the thing I'm gonna just sort of tap it and see where it doesn't sound good mm-hmm. and that's all I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to show, I mean, and again, like, it's important for me that rather than it be like a top-down, like, funnel kind of relationship, that it's more collaborative, and I really try to foster that. And so my my mission or my mandate is to sort of, you know, show my opinion as somebody who's, who's worked with words her entire life, um, you know, this is how I think it can be stronger, and this is why, Um if you don't agree with me, then that's fine. Um, and then we can talk about it. But, you know, just so you know, I'm not sort of just arriving randomly at this conclusion. This is, you know, why I think here, this is why I think this, you know, this is why I think we should concentrate more on this character or you should bring out this theme more. Um, but again, it's also just subjective opinion. And I really think that, you know, I want, if somebody doesn't particularly agree with me, then I definitely want them to be like, why did you say that, you know, and we can talk about it further. So that's how I sort of try to get away from the scary editor thing trope. Definitely. (laughs) I can relate to that. Um, I want to highlight again, you brought up collaboration. And I think that is 
such a huge part of the process. Um, I was having a conversation with a client the other day, and we were talking about how publishing has changed so much over the last 10, 15 years, even after the last five years. And uh, working with a developmental editor can be a really good thing for someone who's trying to get a manuscript published because publishing companies aren't keeping developmental editors on staff anymore, right? Book publishers, magazines, they're not really uh, keeping people on staff who have the same kind of experience that you and I have of working with this process and collaborating with an author to get a piece from concept or idea to publication. And it's also a challenge because I think a lot of people are sort of stuck in that way of thinking that, oh, I just, you know, I write a couple of drafts and I send it off and it'll get edited with the publisher, that they don't necessarily want to invest their own income and their own time, talent, and treasures to work with a developmental editor out of their own pocket. But it's so important to meet the market where it is, uh, was the phrase I used by working with somebody who has experience as an editor to really get your work to that point where a publisher is able to publish it. Pick it up, publish it. Because that's what publishers are looking for. And not looking for manuscripts that are going to need a lot of content editing or developmental work to really get the idea to where it needs to be. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. Well, I'm totally biased. <laughs> um, and this is also a little bit, um, <clears throat> I realized how slowly I work in terms of just my own natural pace. And I feel like um, that editing thing, getting sort of having a deliverable manuscript I totally agree with you and also don't, I haven't really questioned before how people could think otherwise, you know? Um, and uh, I feel like editing is another way, like writing just, writing takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of time sometimes. It takes a lot of time sometimes and then other times it takes a long time. And editing tends to slow um, that process down in a really good way, I find. I'm saying slow here in, um, in just sort of get to go slowly over your work and, and take everything and make sure it all makes sense and then look at it sort of from a long angle lens and make sure, you know, that all the colors match and, and weave in together. And you get to do both of those things. And so I like how editing sort of, it creates a better quality of, of product, I think. Um, particularly, um, even though I'm not really a huge fan of Faulkner, I do agree that you do have to kill your darlings in order to make them stronger. So I feel like if you're, if you're writing, not only for you, but for other people, then you want to make a difference. And then um, it's worth it to sort of make sure that your product which is sometimes what I, what I say and sometimes what I don't refer to writing as, but make your product as good as possible. And sometimes that needs another eye. Hmm. Absolutely. 
I like to think of it as the difference between a hobby and an art, um, which I, I've caught flack for this. So it's not a perfect example. It's, it's definitely not a perfect metaphor. But when you take the time to invest in your writing, when you do things like hire an editor or take a workshop or practice a form or even just read a a book on the writing craft, you are influencing the power of your writing, your product, in vastly immeasurable ways because you're taking that time and that effort. And I think so often we just want to get it out on the page. And to go back to blogging, I think that it's sort of been a, a good and bad thing for writing because we're so accustomed to the instant platform of writing something on the screen and hitting publish and not taking the time to edit it, not taking the time to really go through and, and did, did I make sense? Did I follow a thought? Um, that we sometimes when we're working on things to send other places or books or essays for publication, um, we sometimes get into that mindset of like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to write this out and then I'm going to submit it. Um, instead of really taking that careful glance and thinking, I like to remind myself <laughs> very often that before the advent of word processors, <laughs> how many times did someone sit down at a typewriter and write something out? How often did they have to use correction fluid? How often did they type out a, an entire book manuscript and then sit down with a pen and edit it and go back to the typewriter and type it all again, right? Like think about how long that must have taken. We are so lucky to be sitting at our computers, at our word processors, even on our smartphones. And I, I sometimes remind myself of this and wonder what have we lost in that process? What have we lost in going slow and using those tools? Mm -hmm. I don't know, but it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. It definitely is. And I mean, you know, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Technology has done, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. <laughs> if it hadn't been technology, we wouldn't have met each other. Um, you know, there's so many things that technology brings in terms of connection and information and communication. And it's like, it's so incredible. And um, on its other side, you know, it's also a huge um, source of overwhelm for a lot of people because there is so much coming at you all the time, you know, and there is that facility and great equalizer of, you know, being able to sign up for your own blog in, you know, three minutes. And, um, being able to publish right away and that's so good and people should have access to that all the time and yet you know it's it's is there it's not the same speed ever mm -hmm. and so I feel like I don't I, I feel like for me I just have to be the way that I sort of deal with that is just saying over and over and you know to myself as well that it's just it isn't the way that I work I write very slowly um, I uh, 
I shape things, I think about them, I'm just, you know, they go through layers of sediment and then they become something. Um, and, and just being real with that and just, I feel like uh, every voice that is just sort of being more honest about their experience adds for a more, adds for other people to add their voices and their tactics. So if one voice is saying like, I need to slow down in this instance, then, you know, something else is slowed down somewhere else. Mm. Mm-hmm. It has been so great to have you on the show today. I'm really glad that we could sit down and make time for this conversation. I'd love to give you a chance to share some of your parting wisdom with listeners before we go. If you can surprise yourself once per day, you're doing pretty well. Try to surprise yourself every day. Put yourself in a situation um, where you're not normally... Maybe say something in a situation where you don't normally... Try to do something. Try to show yourself that you don't know everything that you know about yourself. Hmm. That's awesome advice. <laughs> I really like that. I try to live it every day. It's difficult. I can see that the cha- the potential challenge in it, and at the same time, how awesome it could also be. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom used to tell me, you know, I think it's Eleanor Roosevelt, but she used to say, like, do three things a day that scare you. And I was like, that's a little much. <laughs> that's a lot. Um, but yeah, slowly over time, I do, I do, I, I, I love traveling so much. And in the times where, you know, I can't or I'm working too much or, you know, I don't have the money, I tend to try to keep that mentality, that sense of newness in my everyday surroundings. Um, that tends to quiet the urge to just pick up and go anywhere else. Um, but also, uh, but also it's, it's sort of a good practice, uh, for me, um, because I tend to live in my head a lot and not notice what's going on. Um, it's a good, it's it's sort of walk around, you know, this neighborhood that I've lived in for the past five years and just look at it as though I'm in it for the first time. You notice, you know, a dandelion growing out of a sidewalk, you know, you notice, you know, the way that an awning is, you know, got mildew on it in a, in a different way. And it just hits you and hits your consciousness in, um, in a way that keeps you open. And I, so that's a daily practice that I'm more in line with. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying yes and for being on the show. It has just been such a blessing and I'm really grateful to share your words If listeners want to learn more about you and your work, they can find you online at bronwynpetrie.com. You are listening to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. I'm so glad you're a part of the In Her Room community. Without listeners like you, the show would not be possible. On our website, in her room.com you'll find show notes learn how to work with me and have an opportunity to contribute financially to keep in her room on the air next week on in her room we'll talk with author editor and founder of anchor and plume press amanda mays i'm sarah blackthorne let's tell our stories together